welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We are returning to Acts chapter 5. Today we're going to set out to uncover uh, the root of the sin uh, that was so awful that God uh, decided to terminate the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, I, I do hold to that as the as the correct interpretation here, because Peter needed to have received a divine revelation prior to Sapphira's death uh, to make the pronouncement in verse 9 to her that she would die, that she would be carried out along with her husband. Therefore, it it was a predetermined judgment of the Spirit of God uh, having been revealed to Peter. And uh, the charge stated in the passage... It is that the husband and the wife conspired together. They agreed together as a couple to lie to the Holy Spirit. And even more notably, you will see in verse 9, it says they did so via a premeditated scheme to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Well, since their indictment is the same and their death sentence is the same, uh, I I think the only rational conclusion is God sovereignly took uh, the life of Ananias uh, just as hers. Uh, There was no rush for CPR, uh, nobody responding, hey, help the man, Uh, the apostles were there, lay hands on him. No, it was, that was just it. No response. Um, I'm not going to read the entire passage again today, uh, we did last week, but if you weren't here, it's good to recall that, uh, for those who may have missed, that the root of their sin was, was not in the amount of their donation. According to Peter, this, this involved uh, voluntary giving. Uh, they were not compelled to sell their land. Uh, even after selling it, they were in no way obligated to give the money. It belonged to them, said Peter. Uh, so, so Ananias and Sapphira, they weren't robbing God here. You know, the passage doesn't describe a failure to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, Malachi 3. Uh, no, um, that isn't it. The passage also just blows the fuse on a false assertion that, that in the earliest chapters of Acts, uh, somehow the apostles or the church was prescribing or enforcing some kind of you know, communism or communalism or socialism and shared ownership uh, as a theology. Uh, no, this text fully undermines that position uh, or misconception altogether. In verse 4, Peter tells Ananias, quote, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it, referring to the money or the proceeds, was it not still under your control? Well, of course, the answer is that it was. Um, so, so Peter asks, Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. No, if anything, the text actually reinforces other declarations in the New Testament that uh, giving is voluntary. In addition to voluntary, giving is also to be generous. It is to be cheerful. Second uh, Corinthians nine verse seven, uh, one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, uh, not grudgingly or under compulsion. Uh, so, so the amount may vary according to how the Lord prospers you. Uh, that is First Corinthians sixteen two. Yet giving we see is to be planned. Uh, some say on the first day of every week. Some do it once a month. Some do it according to their budget, uh, but God is most pleased uh, with an aroma 
of giving that surpasses the threshold of sacrifice. Sacrificial giving. It's an aroma pleasing to God. But, but new covenant giving is not bound to the law. All right. Therefore, the core issue with Ananias and Sapphira is not that they held back part of their money. <laughs> Each of you holds back part of your money as well. I know you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I sell something of high value, uh, I typically withhold part of the money as well. Uh, a portion of it. Uh, the charge did not arise because they only gave a portion of the sale, but that the lie was rooted in deceit. And the deceit of misrepresenting the amount of the sale we are going to, to learn shortly. And I remain confident uh, that this lie of Ananias and Sapphira was rooted in unbelief. As I stated last week, uh, not only are they contrasted to Barnabas or a contrast to Barnabas, but if you look at all the previous references to Christians in Acts, uh, we'll discover that they were all, chapter 4, verse 24, of one accord. In, verse, uh, in chapter 4, verse 32, all who believed were of one heart and soul. And then look back again at uh, chapter 4 and verse 31. Uh, they were all, emphasize all, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now look at chapter 5 and verse 3. What was the heart of Ananias filled with? Satan. Satan. Boy, that is a striking contrast. Uh, lump Sapphira in there as well. Uh, neither were converted nor filled with the Holy Spirit as the church had been up to this point. Uh, that conclusion also supported, if you want just one more evidence of that, uh, it's after the close of this passage you'll see in verse 12. There we learn that after a great fear had arisen, not only in the church, but of surrounding people uh, concerning these two deaths. Uh, we also read, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were, uh, you know, as a result, they, they were restored to one accord, we will find in Solomon's portico. Uh, but look at this in verse 13. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. None of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. So, so who is Luke, the writer, the human author, identifying at this point uh, when he says, none of the rest dared to associate with the church? Obviously, he means none of the rest of the unbelievers dared to associate with the Christians uh, uh, going forward, at least for a while. Uh, and since that phrase, none of the rest, describes a portion of unbelievers remaining or left over, who would have been the original unbelievers who actually dared to associate with the church in the text? Ananias and Sapphira. They're the only other two that that phrase can point to. Uh, therefore, after they all saw Ananias and Sapphira had died, then none of the rest of the unbelievers tried to infiltrate the church as Ananias and Sapphira had. Uh, at least they didn't try for a while, okay? They were, they were scared. Uh, boy, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they were pretty good at pretending. Pretty good. But you can't fool God. That is the title of our message today. You can't fool God. And through using them as an example, the Holy Spirit makes this powerful declaration. Christ's bride, his church, will only ever consist of redeemed believers. Redeemed believers. And entrance into Christ's church only comes through the Holy Spirit. He is the gatekeeper. And only through spiritual baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 states, uh, 
For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, it's one body of Christ, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. All the same Spirit. Uh, and that is separate, that's spiritual baptism we're talking about there. And Ananias and Sapphira had merely joined the crowd uh, that was being baptized by men through water. Again, as I stated last week, that is how you came to be in the church is being baptized by water in, in this context in an early, uh, early church. We still require that today. Uh, but water baptism does not save. So it's only physical. It's just physically getting wet, we read from Peter in a later letter, uh, and it's different from spiritual baptism. Baptism. It's separate from being immersed in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit into the church. Indeed, Jesus assured in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, it is John who baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So there is a distinction there between the physical aspects of baptism and a spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit. So as we celebrate some water baptisms next Sunday, we never want to make this same mistake. Man cannot achieve simply by getting wet what the Holy Spirit must do through spiritual rebirth and granting us faith in Christ as a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's, it's a gift of God, and that is how you come into a relationship with the Father, uh, the water baptism uh, of professing uh, faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ comes afterward. Ananias discovered this, this was a deadly mistake. A deadly mistake. Folks, you can slosh around. Well, you'll see the baptistry next week if you haven't been there yet. You can slosh around in that bab- baptistry all day long. Get your rubby ducky. Do whatever you want to do. Slosh around all afternoon if you like. But if you are not baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ's church, that outward compliance with, it, with a religious rite or a ceremony an ordinance, some call it a sacrament, I would refer to it as a sacred ordinance meant for believers. Uh, it, it, it can, it is possible to fool men sometimes, but you can't fool God. Article 2 of our church's statement of faith, I was reminded of this during membership orientation. It reads, quote, We believe that the church of Jesus Christ is composed solely of Christians who have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. All genuine Christians are regenerated, sealed, placed into the church, and are gifted by the Holy Spirit for Christian service. That's what fills our heart. Faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit. What we ultimately observe then is an early purging of the early church Two people who were influenced by Satan rather than the Holy Spirit. A a, a dominant influence. That is what a filling of the heart means in verse 3. There's a a cultural refresher here that will be helpful for us. Um, In Jewish understanding, in, in Old Testament thought especially, but also that proceeds and progresses into the New Testament, uh, in Jewish understanding of the human heart, that is, that is a thinking mind. The heart is a thinking mind. It is, it is the center of thought, the intellect, the mind. The thinking heart is not in your chest. The, the heart is not to be a, scripturally, is not to be a well of emotions that you Make your judgments off of. You just follow your heart. No, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all else. You have to have a thinking mind. And consequently, Christians are not taught uh, to, to follow what they feel in their hearts. But we are taught in the Word of God to think with our hearts. You think rationally with your hearts. The heart is the mind in Jewish thought. It, it's the decision-making, uh, the consciousness 
the thinking. So the filling of the heart indicates that Ananias and Sapphira had had surrendered the thinking of their minds to Satan's realm. The late Stanley Toussaint, he was an extraordinary professor at Dallas Seminary uh, years ago. Um, he writes this in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, quote, The verb translated filled has the idea of control or influence. The same verb is used in the command, get this, the same verb is used in the command, be filled with the Spirit. That's Ephesians 5.18. We Christians are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans 12. Uh, but Ananias and Sapphira were being influenced in how they thought by Satan. He filled their hearts. This language does not suggest Ananias was demonically possessed by Satan uh, or, or, that, or that Satan jumped into his chest cavity, you know? No, no, that, that's the influence of Hollywood that you're going with there. That, that's not biblical thought. Um, our, our minds, our thinking minds have far too long been influenced by the theology of Hollywood. Also, this same author, the human author Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he's the author of Acts of the Apostles, he used entirely different language to describe Judas Iscariot at the Last Supper. That's in Luke chapter 22. Uh, there Luke writes, quote, Satan entered into Judas, who was also called Iscariot. That's Luke 22. That, that, that is completely different Greek grammar that he used for that description. Uh, that seems to have been or included a demonic, a spiritual possession. By contrast, it was the thinking minds of Ananias and Sapphira that had surrendered to the dominion of Satan. What's that dominion? What could that possibly be? Uh, Well, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 describes Satan as uh, the god of this world who has blinded the the minds of the unbelieving. Satan blinded their minds. That Greek word there, blind, implies he confused, he, he darkened their thoughts. Darkened the minds. How, how does he do that? How does he do it? Well, he, the God of this world, he fills their minds with the material world. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world, nor the things of the world, Christians are told. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So their, their minds were polluted with the world thought, things of the world. Here's what filled her heart, Sapphira's. Yeah, she was living in a material world. Sapphira's a material girl. And he was a material guy. If you are today a Christian, do you remember how your minds used to grope about back when you were blind. Before you trusted in Jesus, you used to lie awake at night. You were scheming of ways to acquire more. How can I get more of the world? Or daydreaming all day on the job, of what I'll do if I just get a dollar raise of what I could spend that on, Right? What, what you might do if you could just have more of, of this world. And that, that's the influence of the God of this world. That, that was the condition of our unbelieving mind, our thought processes when we were living blind. Darkness and confusion uh, filled our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 reveals the mind of the blind cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Can't see it. The the mind saturated in darkness cannot perceive that, that Jesus died for my sins. What I have done, the evil that I have done, he, he died. The, 
The unbelieving mind can hear that. It just can't recognize self as being the problem. It's always everybody else that's the problem in the unbelieving mind. Everybody else in the workplace, everybody else in my family. It's always everybody else. And the believing mind goes, I was the problem. Christ is the solution to our problems. And, and the mind saturated in darkness, it can't perceive this. Uh, we don't know that eternal life, a, a hope beyond this material world, uh, is what we are truly waiting for. Um, what's the cure of spiritual blindness? What is the cure? Scripture assures us that Jesus is the light of the world. The Apostle Paul continues, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5. He says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For God who said, light shall, shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's where the light comes into our heart. Satan's dominion then does not overpower us. It does not overtake us. And we who live in the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, we recognize that the devil's offer, that, that you can have all this. Just know that you can have everything you want in this world and you can hold on to it for as long as you want. We know that is a complete scam. Complete scam. You know, Satan tried that on Jesus. Satan, when he was allowed to test Jesus, took him up on a mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world. You can have all this. Just bow down and worship me. You can have it. That was a lie. What did Jesus say? No, thanks. No, no. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God only. Serve him only. The God of the world, the God of darkness, offered Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. You can find that in Luke 4 verse 5. Um, but Jesus knew that this world is passing away. Also, all of its lusts. But Jesus says, he tells us, we learn that his kingdom is not of this world. There is a better kingdom to come, an eternal kingdom. That is a kingdom of light, not this kingdom of darkness. Folks, there, there are two teams described here. Two teams. Who are you going to play for? For whom shall you play ball? So, so you've been baptized into Jesus through water on the outside. What fills your heart on the inside? Which team are you rooting for? Ananias told Sapphira, said, you know, I believe we can play this game where we can stand up in front of everybody, uh, but we can still bat for both teams. I, I think we can play this both ways. Nobody will ever know. And they aren't alone. You know, misrepresenting church giving, well, that isn't rare. Even stealing from churches isn't incredibly rare. Why do you think more people aren't dropping dead? Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. They promised the entire proceeds of the land, but but Peter says even the land that you had, that was the money from it is still your own. It's under your control. So so then has the unpardonable sin become lying? Oh, woe to us if it has. I have listened to numerous lies over the last nine years I've been here. 
mean, flat out lies. Um, never seen anybody just drop dead. But in verse 4, Ananias, you have not lied to men, but to God. Now we're starting to get somewhere. Combined with verse 3, there's no question that the Holy Spirit is God, right? But Ananias and Sapphira should have already known about the Spirit of God who accompanies you everywhere you go from King David's Psalm 139. As I said last week, this is more than a lie. This is deeply sinister. Admittedly, a difficult text, and uh, only God knows what fills another person's heart. Uh, I don't think that Ananias and Sapphira believed there was a Holy Spirit. If, if that is right, that is the sin that took them down. They not only lied to men and to God, Furthermore, verse 9 reveals that uh, they agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Whoa, going to test God. How do you think that's going to go? And how so? And if so, what can Christians learn about living a lie? And how do we become sanctified through a proper understanding of this passage? Um, First things first, to answer, why would anyone put the Holy Spirit of God to the test? That can only seem to imply that Ananias and Sapphira didn't believe this Spirit was actually moving amongst the early church. Or if it was, this spirit wasn't God. But think of all the evidence that Ananias and Sapphira had to have seen, or at least heard about. There were people spontaneously, Galileans, unlearned Galileans, spontaneously speaking in foreign languages that they had never spoken before in their lives. At the gate called Beautiful, there was a man who who from his mother's womb had never walked. And he's over 40 years old and suddenly he's leaping and praising God. Visible testimony. People were preaching the name of Christ. They're doing it with boldness even when warned not to do so by the religious authorities. They were gathering for prayer. Now, there's an evidence of the Spirit of God. Think about that when we hold Wednesday evening prayer meetings. They were were gathering for prayer. That's, That's perhaps the greatest testimony that the Holy Spirit was working amongst these people. Uh, But then, beyond all that, they began selling their land. They're giving the money away to take care of brethren who were poor. And by passing through the waters of baptism and and entering into the fellowship of Christ, Ananias and Sapphira, they they had placed themselves directly into the inner sanctum. In the Old Testament, they called it the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells. You did not go into the place where God dwells, by the way, without what? Blood. And they came into the the Christian communion described as the koinonia, the fellowship of the saints, the place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. The place where God's Son is worshipped. Ever since Pentecost now, God's Son by name is worshipped. And through entering divine presence of the people of God, Ananias and Sapphira, they had been, well, they'd been enlightened. They, they'd tasted of the heavenly gift. Yeah, they'd been made partakers of uh, the, these manifold evidences of the Holy Spirit. 
They, they were present as all this was going on. They had tasted of the good word of God, straight from the apostles. They had, they had tasted of the word of God. It was read before them, explained to them. Neighbors, you know, perhaps even family members, had uh, people they had known for years had been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Changed by God. New creations. People were, there were thousands of people giving walking testimonies of how God had raised them spiritually from the dead. In Acts 2 verse 43, uh, many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. You know, obviously all of these combined together to be more than ample evidence and testimony that the Spirit of God exists. And Ananias and Sapphira in their hearts were still saying, nah, nah, there, there must be another explanation for all this. These people gathering together, praying, preaching, sharing, changed people. Used to live in the world of darkness, now they're living in light. Uh, they must have had a good self-improvement program. That's, that's my, that must be, they must have heard a good motivational speaker. That, that's what caused the change. Paranoia, paranormal activity going on, uh, you know, different things are happening, but, but I don't think this is from God. And Ananias, do you really think this is the spirit who was promised by Joel? Do we suppose it is possible to witness, to personally witness evidence, genuine miracles even, that were, that were performed by the apostles and deny it all came from God? To, to deny this, what we share, came from God? Is that, is that possible? Well, Jesus had performed many more miracles than the twelve. But when Jesus cast out demons, the Pharisees concluded, well, this man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. They'd seen it. They denied it. And Jesus replied to them, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And, Jesus says, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people. Oh, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. Oh, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him. Either, or, either in this age or in the age to come. My conclusion, you'll, you'll have to decide whether you agree. My conclusion is that Hananias and Sapphira did not believe that all of this activity in the early church was the work of the Holy Spirit. Or, or whatever spirit was moving, uh, they didn't believe it came from God, didn't believe that this spirit was God, uh, they surely didn't believe the Holy Spirit was God because earlier that morning when they were conspiring together at home, they didn't believe that the Holy Spirit was present right there with them in their living room. They didn't believe in the omniscience and the omnipresence of the Spirit uh, of course, we learned during our scripture reading that means that God is present everywhere and all the time through his spirit. They didn't, they didn't buy that. No. They, they should have listened. Sometimes in the church we think, well, th this is a great proof text for, for professing that the Holy Spirit is God. It is. But that isn't something brand new in the, in the New Testament. They should have listened to the psalmist, King David, whom we heard during our Earlier scripture reading in Psalm 139, David said, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Furthermore, where can I go from your spirit, writes David, or where can I flee from your presence? Everywhere I go, you're there. That's the scriptural truth. David's David's answer is, I can't go anywhere without you being there. Because the Holy Spirit is everywhere. You can't fool God. You cannot fool God. But Ananias and Sapphira wanted to keep back a portion of money for themselves. And though it belonged to them, just as your money belongs to you, they'd made a pledge. They didn't want to lose face. Want to preserve face and preserve some of the money. Sapphira probably said to Ananias, you think anybody would find out? Nah. But, but what about this Holy Spirit? They keep talking about the Spirit of God, uh, preaching about it in church every Sunday. Yeah, but I don't know, this whole Holy Spirit thing. There could be some other explanation for what we do here and we gather on Sundays. There could be some other explanation for why all this is going on, they say. And so Ananias says to Sapphira, I said, I don't think anybody will ever find out. No. Let's test the Spirit out. Let's, let's test this. What's the worst thing that could happen? Do I think uh, it's still possible to blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit in this age and in whatever age before Christ comes? Jesus said it is. And if blasphemy includes assimilating into a church, sitting under the Spirit's sword, the sword of the Lord, um, if blasphemy includes tasting of the good word of God, being somewhat enlightened by it, having tasted of the heavenly gift and seeing what the Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives, um, in entering the inner sanctum for a little while, the Holy of Holies where God dwells, uh, and then to decide to fall away. It almost would seem as if it'd be impossible to renew those types of people to, to repentance anyhow. To deny all this evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work, then to test the Spirit of God and to lie about it? Because you don't believe He's truly God. If, if this is a proper observation, and it's an observation, not a doctrine, all right? If this is a proper observation of this scenario, Ananias and Sapphira were unbelievers who committed the unpardonable sin. That's my kind of my suspicion. Can't can't put a heavy finger on it, but they, they they were done. Regardless of what you conclude, however, the following evidence it's plain and clear: they did not believe that the Holy Spirit was God, uh, who knew everything and was everywhere and present all the time. They did not believe that. Spirit doesn't even know what you you conjure up at home. They figured. And uh, they did not believe the word of God as it is taught in Psalm 139. They did not believe the word. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. And even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all. Here's an idea. How about we not test him? People may, people may ask, because I, I wonder these same things. Why then did they go to church? Why did they decide to give the money? Rational questions, right? I, I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, the spirit who ultimately wrote the text doesn't supply us with a reason. It means it's not important to the lesson or the interpretation, uh, we're not even to become distracted with the reasons. 
Maybe they were exceedingly rich, had many properties. Maybe they needed a tax deduction. Maybe they were searching for a place to fit in and and make some new friends. Maybe they had a bad property, you know, a trash lot somewhere. We can get rid of that and we'll give the money. Um, Throw around a little bit of money. Might impress some people. We can kind of do this publicly. Uh, Do you think that ever happens in churches today? Giving displayed publicly. Ananias and Sapphira, it might have been a tiny fraction of their estate. There's no way to know. Um, Here's an option. Maybe they needed a place to network. Ananias might have been a realtor. And and there were thousands of converts entering into this church. Uh, Maybe they thought the exposure of giving the gift would be good for business. You know, unbelievers attend church for all kinds of reasons out there. Uh, Many people today will choose a, a church um, depending upon whether or not it will expand their client list. It happens. The motivation for joining this Jerusalem church, it's not essential to the interpretation of the text, so it's not given. But they did not believe the Spirit of God could expose them for who they really are outside of church. Have you ever come to church testing the Spirit? Thinking, you know, there's just no way anybody will ever know. Do you have any idea how many pastors have been caught in sexual immorality because that's what they thought? Or uh, how many church treasurers have embezzled money because they think oh, these people are kind of simple-minded around here? They'll never figure it out. They're not good with numbers. Do you really want to put the Holy Spirit to that test? Ananias and Sapphira were claiming to be Christian while at church. They were inconsistent elsewhere. Uh, As a result, the testimony of the Spirit's renewal, the spiritual rebirth, the new creature of every Christian uh, was being jeopardized. So the Spirit will expose you. Do you really believe that what happens in Vegas is going to stay in Vegas? It never stays in Vegas or in Houston or in Atlanta or in the workplace. It will always find its way out. I've had um, firsthand experience and understanding with three men, two of them claiming to be Christian, um, who thought they could hide what they were viewing on their computers. Nobody will ever find out. One of them I visited in prison. Uh, Another one was removed from his church by disciplinary action because he would not acknowledge and repent. How about shoplifting, cheating on taxes, insurance fraud, fill in the blank. If you say you are a Christian, that you love Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he is The Holy Spirit is your God. Um, Do you say to yourselves, I think I'll get away with it? Or, or, you know, I haven't been caught. I've never been caught. Well, add add three uh, three letters to that. I've never been caught yet. Yours or mine might not be the unpardonable sin, but you aren't going to get away with it. You will not get away with it because the Holy Spirit is everywhere and you can't fool God. A passage we will cite next Sunday. It's 1 Timothy 5 verse 25. 
uh, and is given foremost or first as a warning to church leadership. It says, uh, but doesn't apply strictly to them or, or just to them. Uh, it says, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Do we believe the Holy Spirit is God? I cannot believe any Christian, but especially Christian leadership, but any Christian who is aware of this, been enlightened by this, who thinks they're going to get away with it. I don't know. The affair, the fraud, the deceit, the abuse, you will not get away with it. The church ought to be the safest place for anyone to come in and visit. And if you dare to test that, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal it. This is the Lord's temple. This is the Holy of Holies. And Christ will protect his church. Peter declares it is already time for judgment to begin, and it begins with the household of God. So here's a word for the wise, for every Christian, for everyone who hears, don't do it. Don't do it. Stop doing it. Don't do it. The Holy Spirit is God, and you're never going to get away with it. It'll come out. It'll come out. Um, As I stated last week, um, and we're almost through, Ananias and Sapphira become a one-time example of just how serious God takes this. Protecting his church, any sin uh, that would bring approach, reproach, uh, about his bride, or upon his bride, and they died very quickly. Uh, thankfully, sudden death is, is not that common. Um, not common experience in the New Testament or for us today. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident they were unbelievers. I'm convinced they are myself. Uh, but does God only expose sin and take the lives of unbelievers in Scripture? Are, are there not occurrences in the New Testament of God taking the lives of of believers? I don't recall a case of sudden death immediate like this amongst the believers. I could be wrong. But there is a bed of sickness that is described in 1 Corinthians 11, James 5, and Revelation chapter 2, where God gives a window of opportunity to repent. And God discipline, disciplines his children. Uh, that's a little different scope than judgment on Ananias, I think, uh, God gives us time as his children to repent. Gives us an opportunity to change. Uh, But when repentance and restoration do not occur, sometimes that sin also leads to death. Um, But those sins for Christians are are not unpardonable. Uh, But sickness unto death can reveal our Father's course of discipline in our lives. Um, But if that is true, Here's the question. Well, it is true because Scripture says that some amongst you were ill and even died or went to sleep because of sins of division and and uh, uh, immorality and other things in Corinth. Um, so being true, why don't we see more sickness and death today? Ever thought of that? Ever asked that question? Because we know it's true. And why is it so common to observe observe many who have been outwardly immoral? Uh, Many many who have been embezzling money for years. Many who have been spiritually divisive and split churches. Um, Why do they live long and prosper? I've I've witnessed more than a few in, in my time uh, that I marvel at. I, I marvel at them. They, they proceed unscathed. They, they flourish. Some claim they're in the light. You know, they, they're practicing the, the secret and everything's just going right. They get by unscathed. They live long lives and they don't die until they're much old and it seems to be, you know, a, a very merciful death. Uh, so common. To see that. Why is that? 
Why is that? Let's just be honest. We don't see, we don't often see the Lord cast those in church who are overtly immoral into the sickbed. Why? If we don't ask that question, we're, we're kind of missing, missing uh, there's a disconnect. And, and those who spread false doctrine and do all kinds of things, why aren't they sick and in bed right away? I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't ever happen or can't happen, uh, but when, when someone enters into the hospital, the first thing the elders say isn't, no, I think they sinned. Just don't really see this happen often today. Um, we don't instantly attribute all sickness to sin. Why not? Has something changed? Is there perhaps another, a separate mechanism that God has established to protect his bride today? rather than what he did with Ananias and Sapphira. Well, next week, I'm going to have the final installment of Ananias and Sapphira, titled, Discipline in the Church Today. Because there ought to be an answer to these questions, and it isn't wise to move on beyond uh, Ananias and Sapphira and see them die, and read in other places in Scripture that people died when they sin, and not answer the question, how does this function then today in the church? So that, that'll be our topic next week, and we will wrap up this section and uh, be here. There's going to be some illustrations. No names. No names will be given. <laughs> but, but you don't, yeah, you don't want to miss next week. We'll see you then. Let's pray, and then, uh, and then we'll dismiss. Father, oh, what a comfort it is to know that your, your spirit is with us no matter where we go that uh, we don't have to wonder whether we've been abandoned or, or be, uh, we don't even have to strategize about getting away with stuff. We just live by your spirit, filled by the spirit and uh, strengthened by your spirit to, to obey. And uh, even when our flesh fails, uh, you call us back again and we're preserved and and we continue on and worship and along with our church and our friends and we celebrate uh, week to week throughout our lives. Uh, it is a blessing uh, to not be under the pressure of trying to get by with things, but just living in the light as he himself, your son, is in the light. And uh, Lord, uh, bless this church today as we depart. Uh, preserve us with this knowledge that we... That we uh, that we not tempt or test the Spirit, but that we live in a way that brings rejoicing and confidence 